Hey there, welcome back to The Cypher. I'm Christabel Nsiyapwadi. The show is a series of conversations where we speak to Black creators worldwide about how they're leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. On today's show, I'm taking you back to the summer of 2022, which is when this episode was first released. I was fresh off a workshop in Australia where I was supporting podcasters over there. And I met this gentleman, Travis DeVries. And I was inspired in part because I heard someone call a friend of theirs this term, Blackfella. Yes, now to be clear, these fellas did not look like what I understood black to be. And I think you know what I mean when I say that. They were not deeply melanated. They were melanated and they came in all shades, but they were not people that had roots in Africa, essentially. And because I'm a perpetual four-year-old, I asked Travis, who is the founder of the Australian podcast company Awesome Black, what the term meant. I wasn't offended by it. I was just curious. And in that conversation, he drove home how First Nation Australians have similar experiences to people of African descent around the world. In other words, the Black experience connected to that community. So that conversation really got me thinking about my own biases and how I claim the word and hold on to the word, if I'm truly, truly honest. So he and I sat down and we talked about kinship. We talked about connection and the importance of reclaiming false narratives created by the media and how those false narratives have an impact on our communities. It was a real eye opener for me, and I'm confident that this conversation will be for you. So take a listen. Travis, Blackfella, what's that about? What's the term? Blackfella, it's, well, it's a bit of a colloquial term over here in the so-called Australia, as we usually refer to it. Blackfella is, it's, it's an interesting one to explain in an international context, particularly to potentially an American audience. It's all right. It's a global audience because I'm not an American. Yeah. I live here. But I'm from the UK. So, you know what? I'm, all I'm going to say to you is trust us with this. Try it. Tell us. We identify as black. Obviously, I am light skinned. And blackfella is a slang term that First Nations, so-called Australia people use as a self-identifier. And sometimes the black fella black is spelt without a C and sometimes it's spelt as per regular. Um, with the C you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the like the etymology of that actually got um, kind of traced in, uh, a couple of years back and the first kind of using it without the C was an artist, Destiny Deacon, who wanted to have B-L-A-K as a like identifier for Aboriginal people living in the city as part of a art exhibition that she did about blackfellas. Mm. So it's it's kind of a big interesting thing because we also have African diaspora people living over here, and it's I think people find a lot of have a lot of passion around the identity of blackness and what that means. You have hit the nail on the head. You have got to the heart of my cognitive dissonance. I would sort of describe it 
in kind of the same way that like the N word was reclaimed by the African American community in a way is that in sort of like historical texts from white colonialists, there is a lot of use of the term blacks and the blacks Mm -hmm. talking about first nations, tribal people in Australia um, and the kind of plan to wipe them out. And, you know, like when, when you're a group of people living on a continent that doesn't necessarily have outside uh, connections to any white people, you don't self-identify as black. You just identify as people. As soon as white people come in and start identifying you as black, that's when you start to gain ownership of that identifier. And I think like post-colonization, life in the colony here, claiming black fella and black as an as, as a self-identifier for a first nation sovereign people has been like an a, a really important part of like self-determination and reclaiming of confidence identity and power within that space mm, and it, uh, listening to you that first part of what you were talking about in terms of you being referred to as blacks um is something that resonates around the world, right? My people are from Ghana and they did the same thing over there, right? And I am the child of immigrants. And so my parents never self-identified when they were children as black. And, you know, to get really personal, my sister was born in Ghana and she said she did not, she never saw herself as black until she got to the UK. So what you're talking about, these are the things where I started to go, uh, this is the resonance, right? This is the resonance. And I realized, oh, wait, when we're talking about blackness and what it means to be black, I understand that it's a social construct we un- and that it's political, right? So it's real. But at the same time, I suddenly went, my emotional understanding of what that that is just kind of needs to be not broadened. But I really was just like, I want to talk. I want I want to understand this. And I think when we met, I said, I can't say that word. I can't say that word, can I? And you were like, well. No, well, it's it, it's a shared, it is a global experience. It's just a different term for like different people who, for sometimes, sometimes it doesn't sit right with me in a way because it is, even though we now have sort of taken the word and ownership over it, the thing with it is, is like, it's still defining from a white gaze originally. Yes. So the root of the definition, like, comes from English term right. for us. Whereas like, you know, uh, so-called Australia has like 400 different uh, nations and cultural groups that are distinct from each other, mm-hmm. where we each have like, like, you're from Ghana originally. Um, I'm Gamilaroi and Darug. Mm-hmm. And like there are 400 different tribal nations within Australia. I often like used to describe it as like you look at Europe and how many different countries are in there, or you look at Africa, Australia is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only because of the colonization process that we are defined as like one people right. uh, versus 400 different nations. Oh, yep, exactly. Same thing. I mean, tell the audience again um, where you're from. Uh, I am a. a Gamilaroi Darug fella. You said fella. I love it. It's very Aussie. It is very Aussie. Um, (laughs) I describe myself as Gamilaroi Darug. Um, I also have 
Dutch and Scottish heritage. Um, my granddad was a, a Dutch immigrant post World War Two. He, could, yeah. he was a, he was a lovely guy, so I don't necessarily not identify with him. Well, no, but here here is a thing, and I understand that as an international global black kid, I was born in Scotland, right? So, but my mum is from Takradi, which is in Ghana. Both my parents are from Ghana, and my father was from the Ashanti region or Suwada, right, which is in the cent- central part. So, all of these stuff, all of what you're saying, makes sense to me because again. Way back in the day when the Europeans came to Africa, they said, here's a tree, here's a river, here's another tree, here's another river, we'll take this and you'll take that and we're going to call it the Gold Coast or we're going to call it, you know, Ashantiland or whatever it is. But when you're in there, our cultures are extremely distinct. So I'm listening to you going, yes, this is what I'm talking about. You're not all Australians, but we know so little about your experience. I'm, you know, I'm grateful and thankful to be listening to you break it down in that way yeah it's really um it's kind of interesting as well because there has been some contention around us (laughs) using black and black fella Mm -hmm. on the internet um particularly recently on tiktok with african-american people kind of going well you're not black we're black like it's there is a like strong sense of ownership from different people internationally Mm -hmm. um with that word and it feels like for me that like we oh it's like i'm i'm 34 now and i see young first nations people like talking about that contention uh happening and it's like oh i had that conversation with like some african-american friends 10 years ago mm-hmm. um and like it's like it's it's a continual conversation that we have to have because like we have been globally black people have been kind of defined for so long from a deficit mm-hmm. that like we have taken sort of ownership and like found strength in these in these spaces mm. and like that's become like a really important part of our our identity and so like when someone else is kind of encroaching on that Mm -hmm. it feels like you need to like fight back against it right because you spent so much time defining that and owning it and having power over it so tell me what that what that has been like what is that conversation because not everybody knows about that and I want to connect back to the fact that I saw people of African descent right I'm like okay my brain was like you're black and yeah. then I saw people from, to use your phrase, so-called Australia from these 40 plus nations calling themselves black. And my brain was going, eh? Right. And then I was like, well, I need to understand more about that. But to your point, African-Americans, as far as you say, are saying that, no, you can't call yourself black. What is the contention around that? Is it visual? Is it cultural is it is it that we need to build bridges and we're not doing that what is it i think it's a like an americanism thing almost as well because there there is a from my perspective like outside of that there is a sort of insular americanism view of the world where that like everything sort of revolves around this like american imperialism and hollywood uh pop culture sort of thing where it's like well the whole world does look to us in america and so we define the terminology for the world mm. and we don't 
like realize we don't take the time necessarily to learn. And like, I'm very much generalizing because I, I have had like many amazing conversations and people have been very open to hearing this experience, right. um, much like yourself now. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's very weird. Thing. But I think it's important to break it down because as you were saying that my thought was, I'm going to push back a little bit on that because the, again, my perspective is that being someone of African descent who was born in the UK, lived in Barbados for a little bit and then went to the US, I was mm. like, oh, wait, this is what black is, right? It's broad. And then coming to Australia, I was, I asked myself to look at that differently, you know, but at the yeah, same time, yeah, like yeah. stepping into a bar called Hustle and Flow, shout out to you guys. And yes, I feel like it is in reference to that, to the Hollywood movie and then seeing Biggie on the, on the wall, I was just like, well, there's a connection here. There's a connection here that if where the tension might exist, that's where the conversation lies. And so I think it's really important that we have that, you know, because where do we build that bridge? Absolutely. And I don't want to like, I don't want to pretend that I am not influenced from by black American culture as well. Mm -hmm. Cause like that is, that is what I grew up watching. Like that is the pop culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, black American culture, but also black united kingdom culture like i grew up watching those shows um and what british seeing... shows did you watch what black british shows did you watch kid Hood was a like favorite movie right. uh coming up all right that's interesting you know right but i'm and i'm, I'm saying this just pushing back a little bit because yeah. my influences were, were mainly african actually right so when you talk about the cultural imperialism really we're talking about cultural um, dominance right which which is a very american thing but my influences were were extremely different so i so i as having that global perspective i completely get that so for me i think that's important an important conversation to have because then it really speaks to our ability to communicate as people who have who recognize and understands each other's experiences do you know what i'm saying yeah 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 um and the the other thing i was going to touch on was that like I whilst like a lot of the people that you probably met while you were here from the like black fella identifying people are like light skin or somewhat light skin mm -hmm. like you go back a couple of generations and we are particularly like we are similar color of skin tone um and I think like that black as a term has obvious color of skin meaning to a lot of people. Yeah. connotations Col yeah yeah colorism is real you know like the darker skinned you are you get treated a particular way for sure absolutely and the like history of that in australia and the reason like we kind of identify as black and black fella even as uh light-skinned or like mixed race or mixed heritage people here is that these the way colonialism worked here was very different there was a organized system of i'm using air quotes here but breeding out the mm. aborigine from it's in government policy documents here mm. um it's called the the assimilation policy so there's an attempt to define one what full blood uh first nations mm. person looked like and then that they could breed them out within four generations mm. uh and kind of have this white Australia, which was their dream. <laughs> um, 
blackfella and black over here from a first nations or aboriginal individual nationhood tribal perspective is not defined by skin color um Mm -hmm. there is colorism conversations happening uh within our communities all the time but uh blackfella is defined by community acceptance and being a part of those communities my uber drivers was a nigerian man who was telling me about his restaurant that he wanted me to go to because they did great jollof rice we won't talk about the jollof wars right now that's for another time for you and me i know nothing about it but i would am open to learning (laughs) okay just know that Ghanaian jollof is the best not nigerian but anyway you are the founder of Awesome Black, which is a podcast production company. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I originally, when I originally founded it, it was a podcast network. (laughs) So what was on the network? Tell me about that. So on the network was one, two shows. (laughs) (laughs) And he loves. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, this, this is a very big network. So I, I did a show with my brother at the time called Bro Originals because we're brothers and we're both Aboriginal. Uh, <laughs> oh, was, my God, uh, I just yeah, got it. Yep. Got it. Um, oh, it Travis. was a comedy show. My whole kind of thing was about, like, making content and telling stories that I wanted to hear mm-hmm. from Blackfellas because, like, I, I had worked in the arts and the media industry for eight years at the time, or I don't, I don't know how long. A long time was, ago. It, it was, yeah, yeah, many moons. <laughs> uh, but I was like, I was never being able to experience stories or content that actually spoke to me, or I would have to try really hard to find them. Um, and it was like the stories that spoke to me were like, I want to be a black fella and also laugh about the things I want to laugh about or right. like fart and poop jokes, which is totally like. Are they your favorite jokes, Travis? No, they're not. But I just use that as an example because it's I like, think they might be your favorite jokes though, for real. Uh, I need to, I need to come up with a better example for that. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but you say, like you say fart and poop and people get it. It's like, oh yeah, you want to, but those, you weren't seeing that sort of content on through the mainstream commissioning bodies. So like the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and SBS, which is another broadcasting corporation who do like TV and radio and they run the national indigenous television station. I found like a lot of those shows were for, for white people, even if they were being made by black fellas, like the editorial at the top was from my perspective, like, uh having a white gaze on things and making sure that the stories like spoke to a wider Australian audience and spoke to white people first and foremost and I was like you know what this is ridiculous I formed Awesome Black in 2020 March uh which is when Australia went into lockdown two weeks later I'd been (laughs) I'd been kicking around trying to start Awesome Black for about 18 months trying to figure out the best way to do it and the best sort of like vehicle or mechanics to make it happen like there's a lot of conversation around organizational governance to be had and so I had two shows one was originals a comedy piece that I did with my brother which was you know quite a fun show 
Aboriginals because we are brothers and Aboriginal. Um, so, yeah, yeah, womp, just womp. push some words together and make a new word. That's what we're all about. <laughs> we created that show, one, as a way to, like, be able to hang out and have, a like, a, a, a show to hang out on. But I had been working in the arts and media industry for quite a while and had kind of come up against, like, a lot of bureaucratization of first nations identity and oh and, and what i what i mean when i say that is that i wasn't seeing any of the shows or content that i actually wanted to listen to or watch or experience um i was seeing all of these shows mm-hmm. that were made basically for white people from my perspective like it was like a, a very worthy telling of aboriginality or there was the aboriginal experience yeah or trauma porn live. or Ugh. like all of that kind of thing and and i and i say like i just wanted to make i just wanted to make jokes and be silly and like you know it's it is about representation because if you only see black fellas in the media and making content that are about these worthy aboriginal things then that's what young people who coming up are going to make again. I was like, you know what, we need to change this. I love that. I want to jump in though, because I think it's really important that we stay there for a second, right? Because I think when when people talk about representation, I agree with you. I think that's exactly the point, right? It's not about the we exist. It's not about the we are surviving, which that's not to say that's not true in some cases, right? But in but in everyone's humanity, and I say this time and time again, it is about us thriving because you are if you're a fully formed human being and if you want to see us collectively or anyone else in their full humanity, you don't just see the pain. You see the joy, you see the drama, you listen to the fart jokes because as much as I tease you, we all love a good fart joke. Trust me. I'm a 12-year-old boy, <laughs> right? We we all have a 12-year-old boy somewhere. Exactly. And so like, so what the work you do around that is super important because what you're just saying is, look, let's just talk about being. Let's just talk about just doing the stuff and about the stuff that makes us interesting because the stuff that makes us interesting is not our skin color. It's It's not just that. It's not just the heritage. That comes... That's all part of it, but it's more than that. Yeah, you can have one and the other at the same time. You don't have to just be one thing over here. Um, we, we can have it all as well. Like mm-hmm. we can, yeah, we can and we do. push through all of the mess and we mm-hmm. can have this kind of ideal thing. We just have to dream it and make it happen. And we've mm. got a couple of extra brick walls that we have to break through. We'll be right back. If you don't want to miss an episode, subscribe to our newsletter. Go to our website. It is thecipherpod.com and tell your friends to do the same. Well, let me scroll back. Why podcasting, first of all? Because you're a creative. So give us a bit more of your background, right? You're an yeah, artist. Yeah, I'm an artist. Um <laughs> I've been a dancer for a major what? First Nations dance company. Um, I was with okay. Bangara for three years. I've made major exhibitions. I was a producer at the Sydney Opera House for four years, um, mm. which is when I left the Sydney Opera House was when I got into podcasting. 
um well i was i was working on one of a couple of the opera houses podcasts before i left as a producer there and i was working with the absolutely incredible rhoda roberts who was the head of first nations at the time and she was one of the first aboriginal women in radio back in the day and so like i i i was around for a lot of like hearing stories about that and the like the push to get like representation and blackfellas in radio and like from that first generation of that perspective Mm. and I was like oh you know like they thought that they had broken through and like opened the door for everyone and put their foot in the door and held it open Mm. and like it hadn't actually happened you know they'd been kind of sucked up into the white colonial system and like Rhoda does amazing work but at some point like she's just one person fighting against this whole system and I saw that and I was like working with her for four years and I was I guess dealing with like burnout and depression and anxiety like trying to work within a white system Uh, and I realized you know what I have to just get out of here and step out of here and it's not about like opening a door and or giving people a seat at the table like we need to build our own table (laughs) because if we don't like we're still asking for white people to pass us a plate like we need to practice blackonomics and like I need to be I need to start an organization where I can employ just black people and work with the black people that I want to work with. And then like they can break off and form their own businesses and work with the black people they want to work with. And then mm. we get this whole ecosystem of collaboration and um, black businesses that work together that can support each other and sort of build their own, build our own systems that are like separate. In the time that you started since 2020, what have you seen? What's changed? I think a huge, huge changes since 2020, basically like a flow on effect from the Black Lives Matter movement in the US and over here, which took a little bit of a different turn over here. But all of these non-Indigenous and white orgs have suddenly been like, oh, we need to step up our game because there's a whole lot of Uh, people looking at us suddenly Um, and there's (laughs) and and it's not good enough and we recognize that so there's a lot of that going on and and I found that like I was uh, sort of banging on doors trying to get opportunities for myself and Awesome Black and and the new people that had come into the org and the new shows that had come on and uh, I was kind of not getting a look in because we were a young company we didn't have a whole lot of resources or money. What changed was that I actually started just, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to recognize that we are a young company. We don't have that. And I'm going to tell that story. Um, and so instead of trying to pretend that we were all set up like and super professional and we're, we're amazing, which we are, we just don't have the resources that these established organizations and companies have where they've got daddy's money and have been sort of like sitting and making stuff for 20, 30 years. It's like, no, we don't have daddy's money. We need to find 
someone who will be our daddy. Um, (laughs) uh, So I started knocking on doors and having those conversations. um, And like the first couple of times it like didn't go so well, like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a conducive conversation. Then we knocked on, we got in the room with um, Spotify and that like that was a conducive conversation. Um, Like it was like I say, like we had to build our own table, but the problem with that is that the the pipeline and the resources to do that aren't there. We have to collaborate and like tell that story about wanting to build our own industry and win people over to do that. Yeah, it was very interesting that for me that like Spotify, one of the, you know, who, who at the end of the day are a a big bad corporation um and we had they were the ones that sort of gone were listening and hearing us and we're like yes we understand and here you go here is here is some help to make that happen and listeners if you're listening he's not saying that just because i work for spotify he's saying that because he means it from the bottom of his heart no, it's 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 interesting. Like, cause I I do I do really mean it. Cause it's like I felt like I had been banging my head against brick walls for like eighteen months trying to make opportunities, and yeah, it, it was it was Spotify that actually like just let me in, had a had a conversation, and like it is about relationship building. Like, we grew a relationship between ourselves as a small company, and like you know now I'm talking to you on your podcast. Um, <laughs> that sounds really frustrating the process that that process of banging on people's doors what kept you going oh I yeah that's a really really interesting question because it's like I had I guess like escape plans I was like if this doesn't work it's fine I'll just you know go and go back to work in an organization that you know is or I'll go and just get a job on a farm or whatever Right. Um, you know, pay the bills kind of thing. Um, but the thing that like kept me going was that like no one we're all trying to do this. Like there's so many black fellas that are like at this similar level and trying to kind of create this movement. And we're all around like we all we we all talk and we're in group chats. Um and we like critique each other, but we also g each other up. Um, and like that kind of community and needing to go, needing the fight kept me going. Like having roadblocks, and and whilst like that was like defeating sometimes, like it was having a battle to fight that sort of kept me personally going. But with the like with the ally support and the love. I've got one last question because I know that we have to go quite soon. But what are your hopes for the creative community in general? Creative black fella. Yeah, the creative black fella. I want to I want to create a a system and a like groundswell of mob, which is another colloquial term for black fellas that we use to refer to ourselves. Um, of us supporting each other and being absolutely a core part of the industry where the work we do benefits all of us, not just one of us, and we're not doing it for white clout or white gaze. We're doing it for the stories we want to tell and supporting 
our growth. Um, I want I want the work we do and the financial benefit from that to come back to our communities and not like, you know, I don't want a white talent agency making money off blackfellas. I want a blackfella talent agency um, supporting blackfellas and growing and building more opportunities. Yeah, that's that's what I want. All right. Now, how would I say thank you? And how would we, I feel like every, well, certainly where I come from, you, when you greet someone, there is a way to greet them and you would say hello. And then when you are done with that conversation, there's a way in which you say thank you. Is, is there something that we should do in this moment as a, as a thank you and yeah. as a, to end the conversation? What yeah, would you say? absolutely. What would so uh, hello in Gamilaroi is uh, Yama. Yama. Um, yeah. Often when we say goodbye, it's Yanu. Yanu. And and thank you is uh, Gabaninda. Yanu, Gabaninda. Yeah, so we will get Gabaninda and uh, Yanu. Gabaninda and Yanu. I want to just really thank you for your time. I have many more questions, but you're a busy man. And so I appreciate the time. And thank you very much for joining me on the Cypher. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Travis DeVree, who is the founder of the Australian podcast company, Awesome Black. On our next show, we're going to go right back to the beginning where this all started. We're going to play the very first episode of The Cypher, which was then called Deciphered. And this episode is a personal one. I talked to the London-born, Lagos-raised bassist and composer, Michael Olatuja. I say it's a personal one because I talked to him just a few months after my father, who I was super close to, died. Michael, and I pause right there because I just realised my father was also called Michael. Um, Michael joined me to talk about his album, Lagos Pepper Soup. And he talked about how that album was actually inspired by his own mother too. So we had a super, super deep conversation there. And we also talked about creativity as a form of healing and connection. To listen to more episodes and to find out more about The Cypher and how we support creators in the real world and to sign up for our newsletter, visit our website. It is thecypherpod.com and that's C-I-P-H-E-R, thecypherpod.com. Our production team includes Cerise Small, Larissa Witcher, Ty Hughes, and Eugene Kidd. I'm your host, Christabel Nsiapwadi. Thank you so much for listening. The Cypher is a production of My Lens Media, Inc. <laughs>